guys, Carrie <laughs> just got her birthday present as soon as we finished recording. So like she's gonna open it and give live us live on camera. Live well, on wait, cam. we um, should I say what the other present was too? Yeah, say it. So sh- this is n- uh, present number two for me from Charlotte. The first present was a beautiful fan letter from the one and only Edward Cullen. It turns out that he listens to the pod. Um, and he just wanted to reach out and let me know that if I was ever in Forks that he would love to give me a tour and that he feels like we have a lot in common. And so I'm really excited for this relationship to blossom. They have the same favorite book. He also majored in <laughs> philosophy. Who would have known? And it was like a wax sealed yes, handwritten yes. calligraphy letter from Etsy.com. Um, from Edward Cullen. Dot com. Okay. Should I open this? Yeah. It's honestly like I didn't give you like a. This isn't like the hope diamond, but it is fun. <laughs> then I'm sending it back. Yeah, very that. Okay, there's a bunch of different little things. Should I do some ASMR? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> well, it is in some ways a diamond, right? So true. Oh, that's the one you opened first. That's it's a great. beautiful. She got me diamond earrings, you guys. I can't believe it. It just happens <laughs> to be the diamonds from Minecraft. <laughs> I don't really know how to explain what Minecraft is. It's like a bl- it's a cube of like diamond ore from Minecraft. As an yeah, earring. yeah, it's it's um pre-smelted diamond from Minecraft. <laughs> okay, next package. They look really cute, actually. <laughs> oh my god, and a little grass block earring. I honestly, I feel like I could wear these, and people wouldn't necessarily. It's like my secret, like gamer yeah. girl identity. <laughs> Oh my god, I love these so much. <laughs> How did you decide which ones to get? I just got all the ones I liked. <laughs> this one I like a lot. This last one. <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> it's uh, the enchantment table. <laughs> this is beautiful. I love enchanting. It's like one of my tasks. Like because oh Chris I and I divide up you know tasks the labor and the household labor exactly exactly and i'm um the enchantress oh my god <laughs> beautiful i love campy gifts i'm so happy you like it so yeah that's your minecraft earring collection <laughs> <laughs> it's just the beginnings of my minecraft earring collection right anyway Thank that's you, your Charlotte. gift I of course so that was perry's big minecraft earring reveal um on to the episode that is forthcoming <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, I was going to say bye, but uh, bye like, welcome. Bye, bitch. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Doot, doot. Hot, hot, hot. Too hot to trot. Too um, hot. Oh my god, we were so funny at the beginning of last episode. I know. We should have just like made it into a script and like recited it again. So I know. Could, like, so people could funny. know, yeah, like how funny <laughs> we are. Um, I will say that once again, I am standing. Um, oh my god, I I noticed that when you walked away before. I can hardly believe it. Yeah, girl boss hours. Yeah. Um, really loving this i feel like i am aging my spine so much by sitting for like a year like i've been like sitting yeah i mean like i guess i've like done outdoor stuff 
etc but like I've been sitting a lot you know me too I, I read somewhere that if you sit more than 10 hours a day it takes like 10 years off your life which seems absurd to me but uh, I've definitely taken 10 years off of my life <laughs> yeah it's like true like even though it's insane I feel like it's so true because I yeah. feel like I've read so much about like lethargy being the reason for basically all illness like fml like, if you just, yeah. like, hashtag move and, like, have hashtag movement, then you'll be, like, healthy forever. My Ooh. hottest take is that it's, like, 90% genetics. And then, like, you can maybe, like, make your life a little bit better, like, 10%. But most of it is, like, predetermined. It's Wait, like I'm obsessed. God. Where'd you get this hot take? Um, From my dad dying at 52. Yeah. <laughs> Despite being like the healthiest man in the whole world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, never, mm-hmm. never drank, never smoked, worked out constantly, mm-hmm. um, ate really well and died anyway. So I feel like there's only so much you can do. That's so true. <laughs> it's just like, I really feel like so much of it, like sometimes your body just like fucks you up and then you die. And then sometimes you can try to fuck your body up and it's like, sorry, I'm actually doing really well, but thanks for asking. Dude, you're so right. You're so right. <laughs> like shit just like happens. Um, and that's how I make the excuse for sitting for probably close to 15 hours a day. Oh, I'm obsessed <laughs> with that for you. I love that. I'm starting to really miss running, but I'm like in like a metropolitan, like I'm like, I'm not going to yeah, do it. I'm so sorry. Like I'm not. Yeah. And like, that's yeah. barely an excuse. Cause I used to run like six miles a day for like years. Wow. Like, that's insane. yeah, dude, I was like a running fiend. How are like your joints? Is they're that like too fine. No, it's like not even. Um, <laughs> they're fine. I think it's because I only ran for like five or six years. Anyway, all that to say, I sit too. We're sitting, <laughs> except for Charlotte who is standing. Oh yeah, except for Charlotte who's standing. Ugh, I really want to do this more, but I like don't care enough. I don't know. Anyway, guys, um, <laughs> fuck. that's the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for, for tuning in. Um, that's it. <laughs> So we have an episode today. Can you believe it? (laughs) Um, Yeah. So basically, uh, I'll just say like the most recent thing. Maybe I'll just do like a quick overview of like what the F word is up. Yeah. So for this mini episode, we wanted to highlight what the Black Opera Alliance has been up to um, as of as recently as last week. But then also kind of going back to like what happened with Tulsa Opera and also just highlighting like BOA's work in general and how we can support them and what they have coming up. Um, we wanted to go in. Well, basically, I watched the Insight Report from um, last week, which is their first of the f- quarterly Insight Reports that they're going to be doing to follow up with the pledges that they sent to U.S. opera companies on how those companies have responded and how they are committing to the eight tenants of the pledge that BOA has created around equity in the opera world. We will go into what that pledge is about, how it was created, how they're following up, etc. But this insight report is the first of four this year. Um, And uh, we found a lot in there about what's coming up next for them and sort of like what the data has um, so far and sort of like how they look at this data and how they are in conversation with companies. Just a lot of like really important, I think, perspective. And um, Perry did some background research on BOA's website and just kind of dug into like their roots and sort of like what their mission is, et cetera. And we just wanted to spend an episode going through some of these recent events. Yeah, we kind of wanted to be like, 
a conduit for a lot of this stuff because I mean for myriad reasons I know that people aren't necessarily going to like hang out on the BOA website or like watch these insight reports you know people have other things to do and I get that um I don't really have anything else to do so (laughs) so um I thought it would be worth our time to kind of like dive in and really like explain basically like quote what's going on because I've you know seen BOA around obviously seen them on Instagram obviously was like oh that's a cool thing and kind of followed them and that was sort of it and if I wasn't doing this podcast that would probably honestly be the extent of it like I would share a post like I would probably donate but I would never like read their stuff because I would always find an excuse to not to honestly Um, and so I wanted to kind of take this opportunity to read through all of it Charlotte watched all of it and we wanted to kind of just explain what was going on um I don't know be a conduit as I said yeah like that's it's it kind of reminded me of like when we did the LA Opera Talk summary like most people I know watched that I'm sure there's certain people who couldn't or just like didn't get to it and like we're not here to like judge that as much as we're here to like that's not the side of the thing that we're on we're on the side of just like doing what we can to support BOA's work and what we can do to support BOA's work is to like elevate or like support like just put it out more and like share what's happening and then like however that fits in with you like there's plenty of ways that you can support them like Perry's saying reposting donating signing petitions following up with companies that you work with and being like where what status are you at with the BOA stuff like everyone has their own little ways that they may or may not like be able to like help with the stuff but yeah we have the time to like put together an episode about it and it's really important so like um we kind of put aside some of the other little topics that we have for like down the road to uh just put dedicate an entire episode to just breaking down what's going on with this so that we can all kind of I don't know spend a little moment yeah yeah and I think um both of us are probably going to be quoting a lot um hopefully it kind of like works for the episode I hope it will um I don't really feel comfortable paraphrasing you know stuff that they said and I would rather just kind of relay the information Mm mm-hmm So BOA stands for um, the Black Opera Alliance, and their mission statement is, the mission of the Black Opera Alliance is to empower Black classical artists and administrators by exposing systems of racial inequity and underrepresentation of the African diaspora in all facets of the industry and challenging institutions to implement drastic reform. Um, So it was founded during the pandemic. Um, Charlotte mentioned, I missed this, that there's over 900, um, what would you say, uh, members? So, yeah, so there's 900 artists and administrators, but it was actually mentioned on the call, um, which was attended by three people on leadership and two TRG arts administrators, uh, data analysts, consultants. Um, The three people on leadership from Black Opera Alliance were Dr. Jarrell Akon, um, Garrett McQueen, and Pamela Jones. Um, Something that was mentioned that I wanted to bring up about those 900 members is that it was mentioned that they are the face of this, but in terms of leadership, it's not really supposed to be about a hierarchical leadership structure, nor is it supposed to be about centering them. They have leadership. um, A big reason is because many colleagues fear reprisal. So they're like the public facing leadership, Mm -hmm. um, as it were, and they're obviously also doing a tremendous amount of work. But um, they also do a lot of most of their work with committees and group structures. Um, So it's not like hyper hierarchical in any way. But they want to one of the ways that uh, one of the members of leadership said said it was I want to empower them through protection 
Um, we want to empower our members through protection and like not have them risk losing a contract or be seen in a certain light. So those 900 members are not like listed on their website obviously um for that reason so that's yeah that's kind of how they view like the lead like so that's probably why you wouldn't have thought about like or like they wouldn't have listed like 900 members somewhere maybe because you're like who Mm. are those people how come i don't know how come it doesn't say it how come there isn't like people listing it in their bios and it's like because it's kind of like private in that way on purpose um yeah i'm looking at their website right now and Mm -hmm. they have eight names listed three of them are the ones that you listed before Mm -hmm. so those are kind of like the outward facing members and it is definitely something i noticed in reading um a lot of like their press releases Mm -hmm. it's always anonymous like there's never a name attached um it's always just the collective never like Mm -hmm. president co-founder right (laughs) so i'm sure there's like plenty of people in there that we'd be like oh word but like they're like i have a contract with the met and it's like yeah anyway so that's a little perspective on like membership and leadership and like how those two are connected yeah Um, yeah so they talked about how they were founded in the pandemic i believe they said june in the video Mm -hmm. they um they started and they said quote in a time when opera professionals around the world are out of work and the black population is disproportionately affected by covid-19 and economic hardship And they said some of their goals are to advocate for black professionals in opera boardrooms, work with local governments to ensure that black professionals have an equal opportunity for success in opera, do things like provide community mentorship and resource sharing, um, stuff like access to recording equipment, access to um, resume building tools, uh, stuff like that, which... I yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, that was the first slide of the presentation. And there was an additional sentence to how they started saying amidst the protests of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, black opera professionals and others who support equity have decided that the time for change is now. And they also listed like audition techniques, resume development, which you said, and career strategies for young singers and funds raised will enable these subsidies. So like a lot of their GoFundMe um that I think is still up and they're still saying you can donate to it goes toward a lot of these initiatives as well as EDI initiatives for companies, but we'll get into that. Uh, But yeah. Yeah. So their most, um, at least for me, their most uh, public project has been this pledge and it's called quote, a pledge for racial equity and systemic change in opera. So I just wanted to pull some quotes from that pledge just so like we know what we're talking about when we talk about um, this quarterly report. So the opening of the pledge states, quote, to further your cause of solidarity in crucial anti-racist work, we ask that you acknowledge the artistic and financial contributions of black artists and administrators. Sign this pledge demonstrating your active commitment to dismantling racism and its structures in our art form. And then it goes on to outline eight different commitments, um, stating that the signer will, quote, hire black artists who reflect the racial demographics of our most diverse communities, program works by black composers on the main stage, hire more black creatives and and production personnel at every level, review their hiring practices, involve a third party equity consultant in conjunction with human resources, take a closer look at their board, and they say quote require that visual artists undergo training in successfully preparing a black artist for the stage this is especially true for wig technicians makeup artists and lighting designers among other things and the end of the pledge states quote i hold myself and any organization or professional space with which i'm affiliated accountable for upholding the aforementioned principles Um, And then states, uh, one part that I felt like was really interesting is they talk about some things that will be implemented immediately, which is kind of like mentality shifts um, and kind of like a recentering of kind of like your internal moral compass in a way. And then also 
more actionable steps that obviously aren't things that can happen like in an instant and they provide a timeline for those things like um, reviewing hiring practices making a more intentional effort to put black artists on stage and hire black librettists and composers and production personnel I think it was nice because obviously you can't do that tomorrow Mm -hmm. (laughs) but by not just saying you must do this in the future, but you must do this um, in a future that has an end point. Right. <laughs> was, right, it, right was a great right. thing. Yeah. They are really like intentional, which is like, I think what you're talking about as well within this. They're very intentional about talking about staff and stagehands and what's happening in costumes and what's happening on stage and what's happening in the audience, um, what's happening in the boardrooms. So one of the leadership members who was on the call is an instrumentalist. So it was a really interesting and uh, they get into it at the end in the question and answer in the video. But it was a really interesting discussion around like how this works with unions and like negotiations around Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. the orchestras um, in some of these houses and also like the stagehands and like any other union that's within these opera houses and how those conversations happen being like these are the values of this company and like you know like can that be put into some of these contracts yes maybe just having these conversations is like really awesome at like every single level so I think it's I think that's one thing that I think we all love about opera in general is that it encompasses so many people with so many skills it's like yeah who's painting the sets who's <laughs> like we always talk about this shit right it's like it's actually like a fuck ton of people um and BOA like I think is really intentional about mentioning all of the types of people involved in this process from the boardroom to like staff of the opera house who like maintain like the opera house. Like it is everybody. So, um, so the very end, they say um, the quote, the pledge says, I will comply with several accountability commissions to review the inclusionary process and that they're looking to provide quantifiable and sustained systemic change. I think the word quantifiable kind of leads into a lot of what Charlotte has to say about this talk. Um, and it's such an g- interesting word, not a word. I mean, like you forget Data, about baby. it. Yeah. Data. Yeah. We love her. Yes, we do. There's just so much to say and it's all related and it's like this web of like related information. Okay, so the first thing I'll say about the pledge that they talked about is they say um, sign on to the pledge instead of signing the pledge Hmm. because there's so many different versions of the pledge. And I don't think, I don't know if this is, if I've seen this at least, there's so many different versions of the pledge they've approved as quote unquote signing on. Right. Yeah. So WNO's Tim O'Leary was one of the first signatories and one of the first very vocal supporters of uh, BOA. And um, Tim suggested that. Um, and I do want to say, I do remember from the spreadsheet that WNO had a very like robust response to yeah. the uprisings for black liberation um, last June um, so it's really nice to hear that almost a year later, like that is that was a true commitment that was not just performative. And I mean, like everything is nuanced. Like a white person is never doing everything totally right. But oh, and I just wanted cool. to add, I feel like this is like obvious, but just so we like have it on recording. Mm-hmm. So this pledge was sent out to U.S. opera companies to sign, and so a big public thing that BOA has been doing has been posting whether or not like which companies have signed, which companies are in talks, which companies um, have actually refused to sign the pledge and it's a lot more nuanced than I even realized Charlotte was telling me about it after um, she attended the talk and like what does it mean to sign the pledge what does it mean to like write your own pledge and kind of show it to BOA and get it approved or not so that's kind of like their project Um, and then this quarterly report is like a response to the the project of sending out this pledge right right? yeah no that's great that's great we should definitely like say that at the top thank you for doing that um 
so yeah it's cool when when they were describing like what the pledge was for at the very very top they described it as sending it to the companies um challenging them to acknowledge and commit to it and i like that it's both acknowledging Mm. it and committing to it and the reason i love that which is kind of one of the main points of this whole talk is that it's about being in consistent dialogue with these companies and in consistent conversation. If they say yes immediately, there's still a consistent relational building. If they say yes after two months, that whole two months, they want to be on Zoom calls with these companies. They want to be talking to them. Um, They want to be strategizing with them. They literally have... And then if they say no, they're still in conversation with them. Or if there's no response, they're still following up with them. So this is not... This is like the opposite of cancel culture, which like we have a whole episode on feel free to tune (laughs) in but like you know like this is not like like it's a really nuanced topic obviously as we've said but like this is not too like um this isn't what cancel culture has always been but it's what it's become so i'm referring to cancel culture in its current form it is not cancel culture in that it is not to punish or like humiliate or like um i mean it is for public pressure of course also but but it's not to like catch people no, in the act of no. like doing bad things which is <laughs> honestly like so white because it's so like right. this like punitive like carceral state like if you believe in prison abolition or think that you might believe in prison abolition like <laughs> if you're really into call out culture like or like cancel culture like oops oops yeah. anyway so that's not what they're doing it's very much like we want to talk we want to talk we want to talk like this is going to go on for a long time we're going to keep following up let's build like community around this um and this shit is so much harder than doing the kind of like canceling calling out mm-hmm, sort of vibe mm-hmm. you know like it takes so much more effort mm-hmm. on the part of the black opera alliance it takes so much more strategizing um so many more conversations mm-hmm. so much more energy is mm-hmm. expended um it makes sense why some people would want to be like fuck that i just want to like i just want to be angry which i think it's totally valid as well yeah even very though, like, very valid like go for it it's just a lot of fucking work it's i like, <laughs> can't believe how much work it is. it's so much fucking work and especially like having done the spreadsheet over the summer that i did with the fucking initial responses <laughs> even that took me like 70 years yeah. i'm so happy i did it and like but all that to say like it's a fuck ton of work and not only collecting this data and analyzing it and like spitting it back out but also like building and maintaining community relations within this industry and like holding emotional space for people to be like but i don't know how to do it like they're this is amazing it's so much work um i remember they said like part of the reason they have the gofundme as well is to raise money to set aside to hire edi consultants for people for companies that might need them for whom like their budget may not have included an EDI consultant in the past. And they're like, well, I'm shit out of luck. And they're like, nope, we got funds. Like we'll bring in a consultant for you. Like, cool. It's very like, they have really built up a space to like move things forward. It's just a lot of fucking work emotionally. It's incredible. So the reason there's an insight report just to like go chronologically is because I want to say like a month and a half ago, maybe a month ago. No, no, it had to have been longer. I thought it was like February that they made that announcement. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically in 2021, at some point, BOA announced that they had partnered with TRG Arts, which is a data-driven consulting firm for the performing arts world. So that can be something around like driving ticket sales or just like increasing profit. Like it can be used in that way. But they partnered with TRG Arts to help them um, create this aggregate data of like what they're collecting from these companies after they've signed the pledge. 
and also just as of right now, who's signing the pledge and who isn't. But moving forward, after having signed the pledge, all of their follow-up in collecting quantifiable data is going to be done in, in partnership with TRG Arts. Um, and that's obviously a lot of data to collect from a lot of companies. So it's really cool that this is happening. Um, they described it on the call as like very good for comprehension of like what it is that they're doing. Um, so everyone can see these visuals and understand what is being asked of these companies, how it looks and just like see this information. They also described it more than once as like not emotional, like non-emotional to like see numbers. Um, and describing like this is like a very difficult topic sometimes to like talk about or understand or have evidence for and seeing literal numbers is just like a very nice like they speak for themselves there's nothing there's no like arguing about it Um, and I think that that's also very exciting for them the way that they discussed having this partnership and like how this is um, exciting for them is actually in the Q&A section someone asked like how are you learning about EDI initiatives from other sectors and somebody spoke up and said you know actually the performing arts is so like insanely behind on EDI data collection and EDI in general that it's like really wild and like now I'm going to stop like paraphrasing and just talk about like my understanding of it basically most of that data is collected from the corporate world and there's millions of dollars poured into scholarship around EDI and like how EDI is working in spaces after initiatives have been presented and that is just simply not happened in the performing arts the data is not there the desire for data is not there um so this is a this is a pretty like new thing for the performing arts what BOA is doing with TRG arts and it's something we've all seen in other spaces but for the performing arts this is kind of the first of its kind so it's a pretty mountainous task and it's really good that they're partnering with somebody for this yeah so I'm taking this um, class, this philosophy class about economic justice, and there's like a really wide range of people who are in it. And there's this one guy who does um, like diversity stuff in corporations. He's, he's a consultant. He gets hired, you mm-hmm. know, he's like a private company and gets hired out and like goes and talks to these big corporations. And he's interesting. Obviously, he has a very different life experience than me. And he is very much into like the bottom line. Like the bottom line is if you do better with diversity you make more money that's like his pitch sort of Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um I I don't know I think it's complicated totally (laughs) um but I was kind of pushing back against him and saying you know that in my field that it has not been my experience like these companies don't respond to that and he was like Perry the arts are a completely different beast like you cannot compare them um, nonprofits are infinitely harder to deal with. Wow. People don't want to deal with them. They would rather deal with, you know, like Wall Street and whatever the fuck. Um, the arts and just nonprofits in general um, are a minefield in a way that other corporations are not. And I hadn't even really that's thought about fascinating. that. Fascinating. And I was like, that's insane because I thought we were like, like alternative and like a liberal and like we're like artsy. fucked up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. interesting. I feel like it's it's funny because there's almost this like in in uh corporate world, I guess it's just like a given that like things are profit driven. I mean, you might think like the ethics of your company are like lit or whatever, and you're like, I'm a yogurt company, but my (laughs) shit is ethically blah blah, like whatever, like good corporate culture, and like I like where my ingredients from. Whatever you want to say about your company, but in the arts, the bottom line is like technically not supposed to be profit like in a way it's like discussed as being artistic integrity so then you have this question of like how do you convince companies to do something because they can go back on this almost like religion of like well like it's about the integrity of the piece and I don't agree like 
I yeah, my faith in art says that this should be this way, and I you can't argue with the me. Truth, it's subjective. The truth is obfuscated in a way yes. that it's not when it's just like it's about fucking money. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, else. but the opera should look like this, right? Wait, okay, we do not have time to unpack this fully, but it's so crazy <laughs> the subjectiveness of the arts and the subjective nature of deciding what is or isn't good art as somebody in a position of power to curate said art can it, it's just like weaponized for yeah. like prejudice which like duh. especially but in like, the performing fuck. arts you know yeah man where you use your body in some way right like what a what a rough i mean i guess that's been spoken about so much but i, I don't know the last time i really like pieced that together that's yeah. very interesting <laughs> yeah yeah like art is so it's like so violently fucked up in so many ways because like the people who curate it believe this is the point I'm trying to make, I guess, that I just made is like they believe what they're saying is just like within artistic integrity and therefore don't interrogate like their biases as like not being just like about their their artistic viewpoint, but are actually just like fucked up, internalized like shit. Yeah, it's like all of a sudden that co- like have you ever had someone lecture you about um, Glissandi? Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> like there's like a thousand different opinions. Right. Like, well, in Mozart, and you're in not Verdi. supposed to gliss at all. Mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. no gliss. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're like, you know, smooshing around the notes, like you sound like shit. But right. like, obviously, you ha- there's like a little bit like that's what legato is. basically. Right, right, like, right, right, right. You need it a little bit. And then mm-hmm. some people kind of like play with it and then they get in trouble with it. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, she sounds like a fucking like Verdi soprano trying to fit her voice mm-hmm. into Mozart. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And people have very strong opinions about that. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, it turns into a conversation about bodies that is approached in the same exact way. Yeah. You know it, what it, I yes, mean? Yes, totally. And it's like <laughs> they, it's like people don't like separate and interrogate the difference between like their opinions about music, but how those opinions could be like shadowed by their opinions about like or shadowed by their prejudice yeah, in other yeah. ways. And they're just like, no, I'm just talking about art. And it's like, no, you can't just be talking about anything. Everything yeah. has to be seen through the lens of like your inherent biases that are actually harmful and violent and important to interrogate. And this isn't just about a painting or an opera. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like people just like get lazy because they're like, well, it's about art. So, you know, I just don't think it's a person for the rule. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, you don't just think, no one just thinks anything. <gasps> <gasps> this is so interesting i want to break that down one day more because yeah, that's fucking yeah. crazy um i'm seeing if there's anything else i wanted to resp- like say about the pledge initially so that's that's interesting right because they said 85 percent of the industry has responded to this that being said the next sentence was that smaller companies are sending in pledges themselves for people that they oh, had cool. not connect um had not contacted so i'm wondering if it's like kind of like the opera america list which is basically right. what i used for the spreadsheet so the spreadsheet has 85 is funny because the spreadsheet actually has like 85 or 86 companies i think so right. that's interesting and i basically did the opera america spreadsheet i think plus like a couple random small ones that like both yeah of us like knew. chelsea opera right, right. shout out wow <laughs> fucking motherfucking shout out my um, neighborhood opera company. Yeah. Also, Palm Beach Opera. I remain asking, are you okay? Um, they stress me out. I know. I'm so stressed. I'm just like, okay, <laughs> is Jeffrey Epstein on the board? That's all you need to know. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, okay. So, basically, 85% of the industry has responded to this. So, and some people are in conversation. Some people have said yes. Um, smaller com- I don't know what that metric is. I'm sure it's available within the report, which is in their link in their bio. Um, but then smaller companies are sending in pledges, either pledging with their original one or um, sending in some of their own. 
Um, and did I already mention that like people have different pledges that they made themselves and like what that looks like? Kind of, but you should go into it more. Okay. I will say um, on that note, people created their own pledges. Um, many different versions have been made. So there's not just the original pledge that the BOA, like BOA made, but there's also uh, many different versions. Many have revisions that have been made to the original. Some colleagues have written letters that trace through the eight tenants that Perry read. Um, so as long as they feel that the spirit, this is a quote, as long as they feel that the spirit of the document and of the eight tenants are responded to and there's some commitment to addressing those barriers, they approve them because they understand that there's not one document that's going to fit the needs of every company in the industry. So there's a lot of like switching around with certain things. So I think some of the smaller companies might have sent in their own letter or just signed the one that BOA sent. And then um, I wanted to say really fast, like we'll go into sort of what the insight report said, but I wanted to say what's coming up next, which is really exciting. Um, they will be like sending out a, a workbook, which I'll get into later to like gather more information from companies about like how things are going with this equity uh, work, but also just like to gather data so that there's more data to base, like to have like a baseline of like how many performances now are companies doing that have like, mm. you know, uh, like black singers on stage or like how many people are like in all these different positions that are black. Um, and they're also sending out a survey to boards and administrative staff to get demographics on the groups at the companies. Um, they're going to ask everyone to fill it out anonymously and they're not going to be like doing like this individual, this individual, this individual. So it's going to be like fully anonymous. What they're doing is gathering this information by sending out the anonymous survey link to companies, asking the companies how many responses they should expect from their company. Like there's eight people on the board, so you should be getting eight surveys back from the board but no one's going to try to piece together who's who on the board um and then from there they're going to take the aggregate of the data and use it aka going to combine it and be like there's this many people at this company or this percentage of people at this company that are black that work in these positions they're not trying to like you know do detective work on who's who so that's next up for them um which is really exciting and so then i just wanted to say a couple of like cool bullet points from like what we found out in the insight report. Um, so, okay. So I'll just like sum up. I mean, this is literally like the PowerPoint for this is available on their bio. So I'm just going to say it really briefly. Um, they, the first slide is separating the concentration of opera companies by region, um, which includes the West, the Southeast, the Plains, Great Lakes, Southwest, Rocky Mountain, New England, and East. Um, this, you can just like figure out what, which those are by like literally Googling it. <laughs> I think like, cause someone was like, what, what's included in that? And I was like, actually same. I can only name like one state. So yeah, like, I and don't also like, know. what's the difference between the East and New England? Exact. And I mean, then I think the East would be like, I feel like the East is like Mer like Pennsylvania down until like South Carolina. Would that be the, oh no, Southeast would be like North Carolina, Virginia. I mean, technically, like, New York isn't part of New England. Right? Okay, so let's say, like, New York to Maryland is east. This is so, like, there's an answer, but we're going to do but this for fun. There a, isn't there a word for, like, the mid-Atlantic? Yeah, mid-Atlantic. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, I feel like east equals mid-Atlantic. Okay, okay. In Continue, my mind. No, no, <laughs> don't be sorry. We love to chit-chat. Um, so there's, like, kind of a pie chart that lists them, um, and... 
that was interesting because then you can break down responses by those sections. Um, mm-hmm. The next thing, the next chart that they have is pledge status. So um, at this time, the uh, chart was based on March 10th, even though I saw this presentation last week. And they wanted to add that since March 10th, um, as of last week, they had had many additional responses and they had all been yeses. So the yes category is actually bigger than the percent I'm about to say as of right now. But mm-hmm. the chart said 44% yes, 35% in progress, 19% no response, and 1% no. So I'll go into in progress in a minute because that's like super important. But I wanted to say um, what no means really fast. So the company that says no um, means that they have been in conversation they have declined to sign the pledge and have conf- and the DOA has confirmed with them that they are unwilling to sign the pledge at this time. And that's when something becomes a red card. Okay. Now, the no response category over time, they're going to they're in constant conversation, TRGR, it's in BOA about like when because timing is important when a no response turns into a red card. Um, and red is not like red, like you're bad. It's just like it, it is. It's information. <laughs> this is data. Right. So like, let's just, you know. Um, cause obviously like even no companies they're in dialogue with. So this isn't like you're in timeout. I mean, it's like fucked up. Like it's like objectively fucked up, but also like they're trying to like have conversations and be like, why is it no response? Like, let's talk about this. Like, how can we make it a yes? Right. It's never like you're out of the picture, baby. Um, right. So, um, at the no response category, some of those might eventually turn into no's, but as of now they remain, uh, no response. So as I discussed earlier, they're in conversation with people or they're trying to like begin conversations with people in the no response category with like a lot of generosity of heart. So the in progress section, I just wanted to say, um, uh, is described as being really like uh great and like highly applauded within boa because it's where some of the more like robust and rich discussion points come out is how they describe it and these are the yellow companies right yes okay yes um so they describe like all of the reasons why that might be happening which is like boards leadership staff structures limitations they've been experiencing there's a lot of discussions that have happened um and i for one, um, I'm a big <laughs> believer in that, um, obviously, because it just makes sense. But also, like, I remember doing the spreadsheet and trying to say this on our episode where we released it, right. which I guess was our first episode, which is really wild to think about. Um, and I remember saying, like, no single metric is a reason for you to like a company more or less, really. Like, there's things to be said and, like, certain metrics really do tell you a lot. But in terms of timing, like, obviously there's extremes, but, like, most of the responses that were, like, within a week or within, like, even two weeks, to me, like, I saw some at the later end that, like, were very thought out and, like, clearly, like, not just, like, somebody who was able to type something and post it because they wanted to get something out, but really, like, clearly these people had, like, met with their leadership or met with staff or, like, discussed things with their board, like, it's clear that they like did things with like integrity and authenticity and like thoroughness and detail. And like, that's why it was released later. So I didn't hold it against, I I mean, it's not for me to hold anything against anybody, but I didn't see it as inherently negative when a company responded like on June, like sixth, as opposed to like May 29th, um, inherently. 
And also something that you discussed in the mm-hmm. same, kind of in the same vein, is that a lot of the smaller companies that you right. looked at had like really amazing and very quick responses, basically because it's a tiny company. It's like, it's two, like two people. Peop- two people. It would be like us, like right. crafting something where right. it's like, yeah, it takes a second, but like we're just texting back and forth. We don't have to go to a board to get approval. We don't have like a social media coordinator who we mm-hmm. have to kind of like work with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a lot easier when it's smaller. And so these bigger companies might've taken a little longer, but kind of, they had to go through these different channels. That, right. Like, it's just I kind different. of have no conception of. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like objectively different. And like that was, I was, both of us were so like serious about that in the episode where we released it. We were like, this is not like a call to like, shame companies like it is accountability it is pressure it is objective information that like can be like broken down and analyzed and thought about in a lot of different ways but ultimately no single metric was like a reason to like you know other than like not saying anything at all that was kind of wild but even then like some of those companies (laughs) literally like didn't exist anymore probably like that's so like everything is like there's information out there for all of this right and like I remember you were like maybe they lost their Facebook login yeah I I think that was like Chelsea yeah dude no yeah like for sure and it was like okay like fuck it like that's you know so like I remember that being a really serious point for both of us and I think because I am not a data consultant firm like we wrote like our thesis like I remember writing like this thesis at the top of the spreadsheet that was like literally like this is just like information and like just look at it and like just think about it like I wasn't trying to be like fuck these companies you know what I mean like I was very much like please like look at all of this and like continue to like revisit it and see how you feel and talk to your companies what you want to talk about but like none of it was to cancel so basically they're saying the exact same thing they're like in progress which I think a lot of companies were in progress with their initial statements the week of June 1st like you know what I mean like that's not inherently good or bad it's just like where conversation is happening and actually like that's there's a lot of integrity behind that very often for companies to be like I'm actually like I can't just sign this yet because I don't know how I'm gonna fucking do this like I need to talk to you guys like I need to like think about this and like that to me can often initiate a lot of change but that again that could also just be companies like being like, ooh, I don't know how to respond to this. Let me just put it in the back burner. Like, you know, there's a, yeah, everything right, right. is everything. It could be whatever it could be. But the point is, like, not to get, you know, knee-jerky about it. Um, and I really like that they said that it was the most robust and rich for discussion points, the in-progress companies. Because like, they've been Zoom calling dozens and dozens of Zoom calls with companies all over that have had uh, no response, in-progress, yes. And the company that said no, I'm pretty sure they probably Zoomed with them as well. Like, this is, like very ongoing for everybody it's not just like a one and done um so yeah I think that's all I wanted to say about that so okay so this is the other so a lot of the um graphics I just want to like talk about the graphics very fast then we can wrap this up a lot of the graphics that were in the insight report um had to do like one of them is like the black population representation in different regions um so the percent of population that is black and then um within each of the regions that were listed on the pie chart of like how many opera companies are in each region so you can kind of break it down and be like okay like what regions have the most signatories which regions have the most no response and how does that match up with the population of like the the black population in that area so what states are in the rocky mountains oh my god i don't know like yeah it's montana idaho wyoming utah colorado new mexico yeah Okay, cool. Um, and then south, but then it's like, okay, then the southwest is like just Arizona. Like, I don't know. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah, what? you know what I mean? Um, I only said that because it has the, on this little chart, the Rocky Mountains have the 
smallest black population representation at four percent it looks like then you know what i think it is i bet you it's montana idaho wyoming utah colorado and then i bet southwest is new mexico arizona nevada that's my guess but i don't know i honestly have no fucking idea oh yeah i think i'm right i'm looking at like a anyway i don't know um so uh so then okay so then the next thing after you like get those two data points then you have responses by region um so and then you can see like here's the correlation so then they like sum this up for you the correlation of black population representation and pledge response this is like once you get all that other information in your head and you kind of sort it out visually for yourself then you can like look at this and see um the graphic i just wanted to say this because it's kind of helpful i think the graphic has um two different colors on this bar graph one of them is less than 12 percent one of them is more than 12 percent what that's referencing is um the black population in the u.s like on average is 12 percent so then like certain obviously cities or regions have a larger black population than others so the so i'm going to try to say this i have to like think about it for a second so most yeses and most no responses had higher than average higher than the national percent of the black population so areas um that had a higher black population than the national average had the most yes responses and the most no responses and then the populations with less than the national average think like let's connecticut i don't know you know like excuse me connecticut um (laughs) um so populations that had less than the national average percent of black americans had the most in progress like so they had responded but they have not said yes yet um it's just interesting it's like they're just chit-chatting you know yeah so it's not really there's not much to say about no because i think there's only like one company that said no but i think they're even in conversation with them so i just like don't it's not really that important like that's like a it's not like a huge part of the bar graph it's really just like in progress yes no response so i don't know if that makes sense it's kind of hard to say it clearly but just like most places that have less uh of a black population than the national average are like chit-chatting and places that have a higher percent than the national average of a black population um said yes or did not respond (laughs) so (laughs) it's like these two extremes yeah and then isn't that interesting yeah yeah they're either like, I'm not fucking touching this, or they're like, yeah. yup, I'm on board. Right, right, right. I took um, regular statistics my senior year of high school and cried. So um, <laughs> this is all very foreign and uncomfortable for me, but I'm very happy real. that it's happening. <laughs> it's just like really interesting to have this data, mm-hmm, right? Like, mm-hmm, And mm-hmm. it's cool. I don't know. And it's right. Just, yeah. And a lot of, and I want to say a lot of companies that are initially yellow because they're in progress have become green. So, like, right. this stuff is not stagnant. Like, these things are happening. Like, if there's any way for you to support BOA financially or just, like, in reposting or talking to companies yourself that you work for, like, that know that that is, like, probably very valuable because, like, this is, like, ongoing, constant daily work for BOA. Um, and this they're still turning companies green that didn't start green. So, it's really exciting. Um, a lot of relationship building. Um, and once again, I'll say they have financial assistance for EDI specialists if companies are like, I don't fucking know what to do, um, and that's really cool. Another reason to donate to BOA. Um, um, I, I'm on the website right, na- website right now, so I'm just, just going to donate right now. That's so hot. We have a live <laughs> donation. Insert cha-ching noise. 
thank God I don't need to know my credit card because Google knows it all for me. Me too. It's like, honestly, take my data. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. It's so nice to I not have to type in my anymore. shit. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to think. <laughs> I'm too busy. Um, so with the no response category, I'll say while you're typing, um, you know, if it's a diverse population, if it's a more diverse population and that's a higher no response category, it could just be like overwhelming for these companies to be like, what's the first step that needs to happen? And then like another theory TRG Arts was having is like the more homogenous communities, i.e. more white communities, it might seem like the bar is so low. Like, why should they even sign it? Like, what would it mean for them to sign it? Maybe that's why it's like staying in progress. Hmm. And they're like, okay, I guess we just really need to think a lot about like what this means, given that we're a mostly white population. Like, there's a lot to think about. I don't know. There's who knows, but that's just some theories that they're having. Um, yeah. So this is the end of the talk. Um, it's not one size fits all for every company. They just want everyone to come to the table and talk. They're just trying to like talk and it's really, really fucking cool. And this is a direct quote that I wanted to read. Um, it said to people who, and this is probably because there's people in attendance who might've been in the no response category, given that this <laughs> is arts admin. Uh, this was a response to those in the no response category. Please reach out to us. Then there's uh, some other thing said. And then said, we want to be in conversation with all of our colleagues, even those who feel the barriers are mountainous. Let us be in conversation with you about how you might overcome those barriers, whether they are regional, whether they are board related, whether they are value system slash mission statement related. We've been on dozens and dozens of calls, and I promise you it's likely we've dealt with the very issues you are trying to tackle. And we are looking to be your thought partners and your action partners in this work. And that is a quote from... Dr. Durrell Akon. Um, cool. So I just wanted to, you know, if there's any arts admin listening to this, that's for you if you <laughs> need that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, next is the workbook that they're sending out that I mentioned earlier, um, asking if you've been in conversations with your unions, asking if you have a racial equity consultant, what's your operating budget, what productions have you put on in the last few years. A lot of it comes pre-filled. Like, BOA does so much fucking work. Like, they're pre-filling some of this workbook for companies. Cool. So, like, they have even less work to do. Um, and then the anonymous surveys to the board and staff trying to figure out demographics um, of racial backgrounds, racial demographics for administrative staff and board of directors submitted anonymously. And that's the next set of data that they're going to collect while they're also continuing these conversations around equity and following up with how the pledge is going. Very cool. Boom, boom, boom. And the last sentence of the thing was the pledge is the first step of a magnificent journey that they're hoping to take with colleagues in the field as a community and VOA hopes to be a family member of the industry. And that is another quote from, that's another paraphrasing from Dr. Darrell Akon. Um, it's a first step of a magnificent journey. And that's my little report and summary. Very cool. I learned a lot. Thank you. Oh that was God. really fun. Thanks. So, um, in reflecting on this insight report, I'm obviously just like really excited. Um, I passed the spreadsheet on to BOA that I made last year. Um, and it's just really amazing to see people like using data in this way and like creating a, I mean, they are like BOA is literally forging like, uh, this is some Oregon trail shit. Like the shit has never right. fucking <laughs> been done. They are like forging a new path, like, like data, for like EDI has not happened in the performing arts field like this basically ever. So like this is a huge, huge, huge project cannot be overstated. And it reminded me of an article I read last year when I was creating the data for the spreadsheet that I just wanted to plug here. Cause I think it's like really kind of um, adding maybe a little bit of urgency to like to, for me and like, I'm sure for other listeners that are like interested in this and like interested in like why it's happening the way it is. Um, it's, this is just like a nice point to remember in the back of your head. 
it is very common and we'll link this article because I don't feel like proving my point right now but it's like proven through psychological study on an individual level and a corporate level there has been like research in both accounts this is like a thing when a company (laughs) or an individual but let's just talk about companies because that's what we're fucking talking about when a company signs a pledge saying that they're going to do something more like Uh, around like gender equity let's say racial equity let's say environmental whatever anything like that that's the kind of stuff we're talking about they typically then do it less to such an extent that companies that didn't sign a pledge at all like are outperforming the companies that signed the pledge about doing x whatever x is so let me tell you the example that was given because then it c- you can just like contextualize it within an anecdote and then we can all move on with our sweet little lives. <laughs> so um, this pledge was signed before COVID. Yo, this shit's so fucked. Okay, so 200 CEOs. Okay, by the way, I'm when I'm making fun of this, by the way, I'm making fun of the fact that this corporation wrote this pledge themselves. And so it's all just very self-serving. It's not like pressure yeah. from an outside source like BOA. I just want to like draw that difference right now at the top. So <laughs> 200 CEOs signed what the writer calls a solemn pledge issued by the business round table to stop caring primarily about their shareholders and serve the needs of their workers, community, and country. Like, first of all, imagine. (laughs) So um, then COVID-19, I don't know if you've heard of it, spread in March and April. I know, it's, like, fucking crazy. It's, like, not everyone knows, but, like, I know about it, how COVID spread. (laughs) Um, So COVID spread in March and April, and so... (laughs) On average, peop- the companies that signed this pledge to give less money to shareholders gave 20% more of their capital to shareholders than companies that had not signed the statement. <laughs> what the fuck? It's insane. <laughs> and, like, it literally, it's like, okay, like, I wouldn't be surprised that companies, like, don't do anything about stuff, but to do something more almost feels like it was like an accident it's like what and so like the researcher for at Wharton school was like what the fuck is that because that was like so (laughs) fucked and um there's a lot of explanations in psychology around individual choices that this person just applied to like this corporate setting which is basically like this moral self-licensing thing of like signing it makes you like be like I'm great and so you actually like literally give yourself an out to do fucked up shit more and without realizing you've literally gone past the threshold of what would have happened if you hadn't signed it at all, if that makes yeah. sense. So I bring that article up uh, just to share that this work is urgent. The follow-up is just as urgent. Um, and I think it makes such a big difference that like there's all this follow-up with the BOA shit and like kind of like, for lack of a better term, like riding people's asses about exactly. it. And like, <laughs> like signing it is one thing, right? But like someone like knocking on your door and being like, so how did that thing go? Right. Is a whole other yeah. can of worms. Right. <laughs> and being like, we're working with you. We're in relationship with you. Like we're scheduling Zooms with you. We are asking you how you're doing. We're here for you. We have funding to help you. Like that is really like what is so like, oh my God, it like almost makes me want to cry. It's like, that is what's so like beyond just like a data collection or like uh like what they're doing even at the baseline is just a lot of work and it's incredible but they're also doing something like that's so like heart driven and it's like we're doing this to like create a change that is like better for the world and it's long term and we're putting like our time into this and it's like gonna be a task every single day and that's why it's not just like 
we did this thing it's done it's like we're we're creating a space ongoing for a long time where like we are going to make a difference in the opera world and like that's it's very like heart driven it's like really fucking cool and it's gonna take a lot of work and like I'm really happy that like you know they exist and I want to help them in any way we can obviously it's really easy with like how much I I literally want to off myself for even like saying something so cliche but with all the information out there and all the media we consume <laughs> it's really in easy this to age just of technology <laughs> in this age in this here age right um it's so easy like we do live in a society like what we happen to live in a society I don't know if you know that um so <laughs> all that to say it's really easy to see a post scroll by on your insta that's like a green card with a pledge on it I think as much as you know we repost we follow the BOA we know what they're up to like you know I think most people who listen to this know like a decent amount and like care very much but like it's I think it was really helpful for us to like you know learn more and like when I went to this talk like setting in a question or two whatever it's very exciting we stand and then Perry even though this happened a few weeks ago we wanted to kind of talk about what the fuck happened with Tulsa yeah I would like to tell you a little story about Tulsa Opera um so Tulsa Opera a couple weeks ago I think about a month ago at this point um maybe a little more than a month ago they were planning three years ago (laughs) six years ago (laughs) I don't know um they're planning a a concert to commemorate the Tulsa race massacre and that concert included um four commissioned works and was uh had eight singers on it and it was going to be almost all world premieres I believe um so on I don't feel like looking the date will be inserted the date of this tweet I kept forgetting to write down what what the date is I'll put it in Okay, hi, it's um, Perry and Post. Nice to see you again. That tweet was tweeted on March 19th, 2021 at 6.20 p.m. Bye! So a composer who was writing a commissioned work for this concert named Daniel Romain, who actually I took a class with at Manus. He taught a class called Artists as Activists. Um, He tweeted, at Tulsa Opera just decommissioned me. I was asked to create a new work for them. I composed the words and the music for a new aria, and the last two lines are, quote, God bless America, God damn America. They asked me to omit damn. I refused. They fired me. Life in black America. So, obviously, this kind of, like, took the opera world by a storm, especially with all, like, the shit that's been going on. Um, And, of course, putting this stuff on the internet, it kind of, like, lights a fire under people and definitely confirms, like, shit is wrong, opera companies are doing not correct things and are kind of trying to get away with it. That was sort of the vibe, at least the vibe when I read it. Right. So then Tulsa released a statement claiming that uh, mezzo-soprano Denise Graves, who was the one who was slated to perform the piece, was uncomfortable singing the lines. Um, Tulsa Opera claimed that she expressed this to the composer and that he declined to change the lyrics. And the, um, the statement quoted Denise Graves, and she said... As a black woman, I am a huge supporter of all black lives, black expression, and creativity. I don't have trouble with strong lyrics, but I felt that they did not line up with my personal values. I could not find an honest place to express the lyrics as they were presented. And then the statement continues and says, 
Romaine was cons- was subsequently informed that as Miss Graves was not comfortable performing his piece as written and he was unwilling to work to find a compromise, his work would no longer be a part of the concert program. He will receive his full commissioning fee. So then I found this Vulture article that made things like way more complicated um, mm-hmm. and not as clear cut as this Tulsa statement would want us to believe. So the one of the main players here is Tobias Picker. Is he a composer? Yeah, he wrote Emmeline, which I actually right. am fucking obsessed with, but now I'm like pissed. <laughs> so Picker was the one who was organizing this concert and I think has a big hand in Tulsa Opera, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, isn't he like a... Tobias Picker is the artistic director of Tulsa Opera. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So then he kind of gets added into this story where they kind of implied, at least when I was reading the statement, I felt like Denise Graves and Daniel Romain had like a one-on-one conversation about this issue. Mm -hmm, (laughs) Um, mm -hmm. The Vulture article seems to imply that that did not happen at all. And actually all of the correspondence happened with um, Picker as the middleman. Which I find hilarious that he said, like, they talked, but it was, like, through him. Like, are you good? But if that's what it is, if that's what he means, like, that's so problematic. Yeah, right? (laughs) So that's the impression I got from this article. And then, um, because the article says, quote, uh, Picker replied to the email after Romaine was like, I don't want to do this, suggesting Romaine could instead repeat God Bless America or change it to God Help America. Um, while both the opera and Romaine note that it's common to suggest edits to commission pieces, Romaine said that he took issue with Picker suggesting that it as a white person, saying that he could have decentered himself. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of like went to Picker and Picker was like, I find that shocking that this is being, quote, interpreted as a race issue, especially since he is curating an event that uplifts black composers, which is just like a terrible quote. Yeah, I don't know who let, him, <laughs> who let him say that to a journalist, but it makes him sound not great at all. <laughs> it's actually like kind of great that he said it because it really just right. emphasizes even someone who like would put on a concert to like commemorate. Is commemorate the right words? That sounds like a celebration. I know. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? I don't know. <laughs> I guess like memorialize. Maybe we should yeah. say the word like. I love memorialize, but to, I'm yeah. sure something said commemorate. Like I'm sure you got that from like the yes, website. Yes, I was quoting. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, I don't think. You... <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, the fact that he said that, I think it's actually such a like kind of exposure of how like even somebody who would like think and like put effort into putting on something like this still has their own biases and like still has blind spots and actually I think Mm -hmm. it's really good that we know that people still have those and this is an example of that to be like everyone is flawed it makes me think of the article that you referenced about how when someone signs a pledge they feel like they've kind of done their work and they can step back and this that Uh quote from Picker feels very similar like I've done this really good thing like why can't you be thankful that I did this yeah Uh, so the, the article says that Graves and Romaine were not able to speak directly to each other concerning this issue. Um, That's huge. And then Picker says that he reached out to other black singers to perform this piece, and they all declined. Uh, Romaine says he was not aware of that. Yeah, I'm uh, not Picker. aware of that, Picker. <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm sorry. Hire like, me. Like, who would fucking say no? Like, I'll who, find like, someone in 10 minutes. Like, can you imagine if someone contacted you and was like, hey, Denise Graves stepped away from this. Would you take it? Like, how could, like, that's insane. Like, I would love, like, Denise Graves is an amazing singer. Yeah, like, that's. <laughs> That's like silly and not true. I would bet yeah. every dollar to my name, which is not that many dollars, but it's still just like I would bet them all that like that's not fucking true. Yeah. 
And so Picker says, uh, this was an artistic disagreement. It has been turned by the Black Opera Alliance and Daniel into something that it isn't. I guess I should have mentioned this up top. The reason I wanted to tell the story is because the BOA put out a statement about this, and I thought it was, like, uh, an interesting tie-in. Uh, yeah. But I'll get to that. I'll and I think, that. I think we sort of said that at the top. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the kind of fallout of this and the reason why Charlotte wanted to, like, have us talk about it explicitly is because um, Romaine is turning this piece into a pocket opera and a short film. And there's actually um, a website where you pay what you can to download the score uh, with, quote, a portion donated to support black, indigenous and people of color opera artists. And so we'll, like, link that. Um, mm-hmm. You can, like, buy the score and sing it. So the article closes out um, with a quote from Daniel Romaine where he says, I love Tulsa Opera. I want them to succeed. That's not the question. The question is, does Tulsa Opera still love me? And if they're going to say that they can't say the words God damn America, well, what does God bless America really mean for them? Very that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to add, if anyone wants to sing this piece, that according to one of the representatives from of daniel um like with his like agency and the email response from one of daniel's reps says um i've checked with daniel and he is totally fine with white folks performing this piece it's all flexible as long as there is respect i just w- wanted to say that because i know that a lot of people would and should interrogate whether or not they should sing it as a white person and daniel is down <laughs> if you do it with nuance um yeah anyway yeah so um the reason I wanted to talk about this story in this episode is because Black Opera Alliance released a statement about it, and I loved it and felt like they thought of everything and they worded it really well. And so, in that in that light, I wanted to quote from this <laughs> from this statement. Um, so I'm pretty sure that there is no information about whether or not Tulsa Opera signed the pledge. Um, I should go and like recheck, but I oh yeah, find maybe it was on. released with the Insight report. Oh, yeah, maybe. Um, So I just wanted to um, have a couple, read a couple quotes from their response to this whole issue, which is obviously really complicated, involves, you know, black people disagreeing with each other, which I feel like Tulsa Opera felt like uh, they could get away with (laughs) in a way. Yeah, like, right. Yeah. So um, they said, quote, as white men, Ken McConnell and Mr. Picker will never have the deep understanding of the complex relationship that black Americans have with the Tulsa massacre and the United States of America. These men enjoy the luxury to cavalierly pick and choose which expressions of blackness can be pulled into service of white comfort and hegemony. Um, And then it continues and they say, quote, the piece was written for Denise Graves, a black woman who has the right as an artist to decline to sing text that does not align with her principles. Tulsa Opera, in a public statement, chose to weaponize the voice of one black artist to justify the silencing of another. The company hides behind a quotation from a black woman instead of offering a direct response from Mr. Picker, um, which I thought was also so important. I don't really want to like say my own opinion. Like, but yeah, that's right. like that's <laughs> fucking really that's like one of the biggest parts that maybe like as a white person, you might not immediately like think about that being like such a fucked up part of it um another quote they should have honored both miss graves personal press preference and mr romaine's personal creation by hiring an additional singer who would perform the aria as commissioned we encourage tulsa opera to begin communication with the boa to further discuss how black artists and communities can be more authentically represented going forward and to sign the pledge the work continues oh so they do need to sign the pledge yeah um 
interesting. I thought it was like a great, you know, it's like a current event and BOA like responded in kind and it was interesting to like see it like working in real time. Like, yeah. I don't know. Pretty cool. Yeah. So this is basically like a giant book report on. Thanks for uh, coming BOA. to our <laughs> book report. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. I mean, to engage with all this shit. Uh, so I'm glad that I had a deadline to meet so I could be like, okay, I'm going to like do this and take notes on this and mm-hmm, watch this mm-hmm. at two times speed. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thanks to, are we saying the BOA or BOA? I feel like I feel cooler when I say BOA. Okay. Thanks to BOA for doing this shit. Wait, try saying the. Thanks to the BOA. Yeah, I know. It's like a less cool. <laughs> we have to be cool or else we're fucked. <laughs> Um, thanks to BOA for doing all this shit. Yeah. Uh, it's really cool. We want to be supportive in any and all ways that we can. And so we will continue to interrogate our role in that. I'm so happy we could like sit down and like fucking tune the fuck in on a deeper right. level. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. We have more chit chat episodes coming up. Um about other things you guys have sent in like please send us more we wanted to kind of put everything on pause for a minute and like really like double down and just like get this get the word out on these things um yeah um and like trying to you know draw everyone's attention to it even though it's in everyone's feeds for sure uh but yeah we have more chit chat coming up please keep sending us stuff that's popping up for you so our next big episode we plan to do a union episode kind of like talking about history of unions and like what we can do as singers either part of agma or not part of agma um so if you have any thoughts about that please let us know because we're uh we're building that episode yeah it's coming down da- coming down the pipeline is that sure what the say? pike yeah 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 Whatever. it's coming down the thing um hmm. and yeah lots of things happening in the opera world with that lots of exciting little things bubbling up yeah um Hot Girl Summer 2021. Oh my God, Hot Girl Union wait. Summer. <laughs> um, yeah, guys, tell us like what's good in your world. DM, DM. Yeah. Guys, I'm going to go get okay. my COVID vaccine. Uh, toy, toy, toy. Thanks. I'll be owned by Bill Gates um, as of like 530. I will be dead within the week because I got J&J. Okay, so it's nice <laughs> knowing you guys. Next time you see us, we'll be like dead and zombies <laughs> keep charlotte in your thoughts i hope that she doesn't feel sick because of the yeah. vaccine keep me in your thoughts um okay uh bye bye guys <laughs> uh- <laughs>